0: This podcast is produced by CDSS, the Country Dance and Song Society. CDSS provides programs and resources, like this podcast, that support people in building and sustaining vibrant communities through participatory dance, music, and song. Want to support this podcast and our other work? Visit cdss.org to donate or become a member today.
1: One and a half around I'm one
0: couple and four with six Swing your partner. Now, to about left, left, hand back, to your partner, right, left, right, hand. Overhand to right
1: left, left, and overhand, hey and up, and down, and 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 a podcast about North American social dance calling.
0: Nicely done. Through
1: conversations with callers across the continent, we'll explore the world of square, contra and community dance callers. Why do they do it? How did they learn? What's their role on stage and off in shaping our dance communities? What can they tell us about the corner of the dance world that they know and love the best? Each episode, we'll talk to a different caller, but they all have something in common, a spark, a desire to lead, to share joy, to invite movement, to stand in that special place between the band and a room full of dancers, or people who don't yet know that they're dancers. And from the mic say, find a partner, let's dance. Hello everyone, happy fall and welcome back to From the Mic. This episode we head to Northern California for a conversation with the wonderful Susan Petrick. An avid dancer for many years, Susan started calling for contra dances in 2000 and teaching couple dances including waltz, cross-step waltz, and hombo shortly thereafter. She's known for her clear teaching, efficient guidance, and expert pacing, making even complex dances accessible to all. Susan and I chatted about her beginnings in the New England contradance scene in college, and the ways in which dance and calling followed her through several moves across the country. She now lives in Redwood City, California, and has become a regional treasure with national prominence, calling for dance weekends and festivals throughout the country. By profession, Susan is a cognitive psychologist who, before retiring in 2021, managed a team of user experience researchers at Google in Mountain View, California. I loved hearing about the echoes between her professional work and the realm of dance calling. In both worlds, clear communication is key. Here's Susan. Hello, Susan Patrick. Welcome to From the Mic. Thank you. Hi,
0: Mary. Good to see you.
1: It's good to see you, too. And
0: tell us where you're speaking to us from today. Ah, I'm speaking to you from Redwood City, California, which is about halfway between San Francisco and San Jose.
1: Wonderful, wonderful. It looks like a, a nice, uh, maybe sunny day there. It's always hard
0: to tell, but it is. Yeah, <laughs> we had lovely weather. September is usually the hot month, but not this year.
1: Wonderful. Well, thanks so much for making time to join me and tell us a little bit about yourself as a caller and uh, the Northern California dance scene. We've seen each other at, at various dance events over the years, but uh, I'm excited to get to have a, a fuller conversation with you. So I usually ask people to just start out introducing themselves and, and sort of telling about how you found your way to uh, the dance floor, to the caller's mic. Kind of what were the steps along the way in your
0: your journey to
1: becoming a caller?
0: Sure. Well, it definitely starts East Coast, not West Coast. Um, my college boyfriend was the eldest son of Ted Sonella. Oh my gosh! And so it was at that point in the mid seventies that I started contra dancing with them, and they were very welcoming. In the family and I spent several years going to a lot of the dances that Ted called or that other New England callers called. Um, And then after that, I continued as a, as a grad student in the Boston area, doing a lot of contra dancing. I had a a boyfriend who had gone to Hampshire and we used to go and visit with David Cantini and drive to Brattleboro for the dawn dance with him um, and stay with him. So just very much um, loved dancing, loved contra dancing Did some other kinds, Scottish country dancing, some other things, but really it was contra dancing that, that I did the most of, square dancing. Yeah.
1: Nice. And was that something that, um, you had been aware of before meeting, uh, the Sinella family or was all brand new discovery? Not at
0: all. I think I remember, you know, physical education class, square dancing that I always looked forward to field hockey ending and that starting, um, I think my parents did a little bit of square dancing, but not much. So I certainly wasn't aware about contra dancing specifically before that, but I liked it right away, like dancing.
1: Yeah, that's how it is sometimes, isn't it? And you just sort of, you get, I you found get it intimidating,
0: bug. definitely intimidating as a new person to be, um, you know, in a big room with lots of people making lots of eye contact, um, intimidated by um, any dance with any level of complexity as dances were just starting to be in Beckett formation. I remember lining up and then saying, oh, wait a minute. This one's Beckett. Let's sit out and wait for the next one that is properly actives and inactives and something I'm used to. So
1: Wow. And so, yeah, you kind of jumped in at a real hotbed. So were you going to school in Boston?
0: Um, at For grad school, it was at MIT. As an undergraduate, when I was seeing the Sinella family, I was at Yale. So, okay. but dancing all over and, and the Sinella family lived in the Boston area. So
1: nice. And so where were some of the dances that you went to
0: at that time? Was it the VFW? Oh. Uh, yes. Um, and the, the scout house also. Um, And I remembered actually I'd lived in Lexington, Massachusetts as a child and remembered the scout house as a scout in addition to uh, dancing then later as a, as a graduate student. Um. So, yeah, um, once I was um, dancing more and and um, staying with David Cantini, it was Western Massachusetts and Greenfield area and Brattleboro dances. From when I finished school and moved away and, and took my first job, it was in New Jersey. Um, I danced more sporadically then. Um, when my son was little, I remember bringing him his baby and letting him sleep during dancing, but I wasn't dancing nearly as regularly. Uh, and then I came back to it as a regular dancer when I lived in Lexington, Kentucky, um, wow. and s- s- really enjoyed uh, the dancing community there. And started going both Lexington and Berea. Um, Berea, as as a mom with a with a child at that point, Berea had a children's room, so you could easily bring a, a, a child along and have them well entertained and happy to go with you and dance yourself. So nice. that worked out really well. Yep. Um, but the calling came came during that period when I then was already in Kentucky, and somebody said to me at a party, it was actually, it was uh, Carrie Rabbits, the choreographer, said, ah, uh, your voice isn't too bad. You could try calling. Um, I was very much introverted. I know that's one of your usual later questions in your podcast, but um, just the idea of doing it was kind of terrifying. But I had a friend who hadn't been dancing all that long, who took up calling within six months of starting contra dancing who didn't have the um, preferences about dances and wasn't wild about putting together programs. So he let me do all his programming. And that's what drew me in to become a caller. No doubt about it. I love the puzzle aspect of collecting dances and then fitting them together to make a fun and accessible evening for different groups. And so as long as I could do that, I had very little desire to get in front of the mic. You
1: started off just completely behind the scenes programming a dance exactly.
0: as a as a dancer i started collecting dances paying more attention to what callers were doing and what created a good evening during that period um but i was collecting dances only to be able to program not ever really wanting to do much calling myself um as a dancer attending weekends i remember going to one um brief callers workshop that sis hinkle did somewhere there in the midwest or um, kentucky and um so that was that was something that kind of got me started a little bit. Uh, I started doing, at some point, my friend decided he wanted to do his own programming. And so I was losing the fun of that, that puzzle experience. Uh. And at that point, I think I was more willing to try calling one dance in an open mic situation. A little bit later, I did a week-long callers course with Lisa Greenleaf at Lady of the Lake Camp. And I think that really got me interested in the walkthrough teaching aspects and orientation teaching aspects of it. And I turned out to really enjoy that too. But the idea of just being up in front of a mic, I know is attractive to people who are very fluent and articulate in that kind of situation. And for me, it was just terrifying. Luckily, when I moved to California, an organizer um, in my local Santa Cruz Mountain area dances was willing to book me, you know, at at least every month or two. And that was often enough that I kind of habituated to the fear part of it. And I'm sure it was empowering to some, like doing managing a challenge that you didn't expect you'd be able to manage. But during that period, I was definitely still nervous about it. I wouldn't eat well or sleep well the week before having to call even just half an evening or a full evening. Um, I found the concentration needed to do a really good, clean job of calling to be difficult to sustain a whole evening's worth. Um so I do really well the first half and then the second half. Uh, it was more of a challenge to get through things without without making any errors. Um, but doing anything that's scary enough, I've kind of always managed to habituate to it and to get to where I actually enjoy it and it's not scary anymore. and that's what happened with calling.
1: That's so great. What it's I don't know that I've talked to anyone yet who started with the programming aspect, what, and was that, you know, what is it about your kind of personality or what attracted you to that, that part of it?
0: Well, uh, definitely um, loving the dances as a dancer and having pretty strong opinions. Oh my gosh, that was like the best dance ever and liking things about the choreography and the flow and the mesh with the, the music. Um, I think the other thing is the music itself. So I've done a lot of instrumental music performance not, not necessarily traditional, although I have done, you know, drop in bands at various points and also for English country dance, playing wind, wind instruments. Um, so I loved the music. I loved the whole um, repertoire that was mostly in, in use then. And I loved the variety that was developing and being added to what had been traditional tunes that you'd, and, and instrumental arrangements that you'd hear for Contra dancing. All of that. Plus, I realized that people um, when I was living in Lexington, Kentucky, they actually knew each other within the community. The same people came to dance once, if not twice a week. And that aspect of community and making friends and feeling connected um, also drew me in just to be willing to do do more in different roles within that community to try them at least.
1: And it sounds like you just at some point made a choice to kind of stay dedicated or to you know overcoming some significant stage fright or you know wh- what kind of kept you coming back there there was enough return on what you were doing
0: the, the first time i called i can remember thinking oh my goodness i got to stand right next to the the you know musicians and the instrumentalists who were playing a variety of things and i was hearing it acoustically as opposed to through sound system out far on the floor and it sounded really great, and so it was really fun to get to be up there that that close. Um, it's fun to watch a big group of people in synchrony. That was actually something that was a challenge. Many things were a challenge, and are for you know, for for most people in learning to call. And one of them is paying attention to everybody in a large hall. Um, my friend who'd let me create the programs for him was a huge help. As were other callers within that community when I was starting to do half evenings. Um, my friend would actually circulate. I could, first I felt I could only look at, you know, one or two squares at the top of the line in front of me. And then I was able to kind of feel like, okay, I'm kind of in charge of the whole line. I'm able to look after them. Um, I can realize when I need to do something different to help them out, but I couldn't begin to think of how would you possibly focus on a second line. And so he would actually sit one out, not dance it himself, roam up and down the line to make me feel secure. If anything really went wrong, he could like fix it. And so that kind of support from other callers, from other dance community members, when you're just starting out, gave me the confidence that everything wouldn't be total train wreck. um, And I would be able to learn to do it cleanly and clearly. The the workshop I mentioned with Lisa Greenleaf was a huge help in making me feel confident about the teach for the walkthroughs. Lisa did the exercise that I know has been mentioned in at least one or two of your other podcasts where people take everything, um, the Confederates take everything perfectly literally. Yes. Yes. Dumb as a board. And um, that was a huge help in realizing just how concise and how clear one should strive to be. So that was a, a good experience along with many other things. That Lisa yes. Imparted during that week.
1: Yeah, I have a similar that was a similar turning point for me in learning to call was taking taking a week long with Lisa. She's she's just also just such a good teacher, you know, teaching how yep. to teach. <laughs> it's amazing. Yeah. Um, and it sounds like, you know, also like a lot of people, the dance community was a way for you to sort of plug into to a new place because you've moved around quite a bit, but in that each place you've been able to, to connect
0: in that scene. I've been fortunate and never lived in a place that really had no dancing. Um, when I lived in Dayton, Ohio, we went down to Cincinnati. It wasn't that far. And, you know, there's always been a dance that I could get to. So there was never a period when I never danced for like years at a time. Um, it just, as my son got older, it got easier and easier to dance more regularly.
1: So. Yeah. yeah. And so was Santa Cruz was the first place you moved in California?
0: Uh, yes. I lived in the Santa Cruz mountains. So north of, or in the mountains above Santa Cruz. Um, and there was a dance in Felton as well as dance in Santa Cruz. And those were the the closest two and the two who gave me the experiences calling that at that point was crucial to having me just not, not stop at that point. So
1: nice. Sure. Yeah. Yep. And so has your um has your career been in kind of computer programming or or in, in that realm? And does that relate to your interest in kind of the puzzling and programming Very piece much. of in okay. addition to
0: puzzles you asked before what it is about or are there other things that are puzzle like I've always liked puzzles of lots of different sorts, both mathy and, and wordy. Um, but My, my work, um, my, my graduate work was all in cognitive psychology. Okay. Um, And so, and, but I took a job with Bell Labs immediately after grad school. And from, from there, all the way through my career, I worked on improving user experiences for people, um, which is very much um, redesigning something or writing instructions, hopefully redesigning the thing itself so that people don't struggle with it. Which yeah. is very much like what you, as a caller, do in trying to present a dance um, that's going to have people not frustrated, have them feel empowered, and like they're doing a really good, fun thing. So, I think I think the two are really related. I gave at least one talk at Google about contra dance calling as oh, great you know another avenue for for clear communication, clear, concise communication of steps to help people accomplish what they're trying to accomplish nice
1: so w- can you talk a little bit about i don't know your your approach to calling maybe even as it sort of changed over time because it sounds like you've been doing it for some some time now and you know you you mentioned a little bit the the early days of just kind kind of the repetition and getting uh, getting that sort of thicker skin to stay up at the mic, and and uh, you know, where else has your collar development taken you? And and what are the things that are important to you when you're when sure. you're up at the mic?
0: I I think the things that are most important to me are the experience that I'm creating for the musicians, for the people organizing the dance, but especially for the dancers themselves. Um, I I want people to go away not talking about me. I want me to be almost invisible. Um, not that there are, aren't a huge number of things that the caller should be responsible for, has to be responsible for, because there's nobody else in that central position of coordinating between all the different things that go into making a, a good dance. Um, and and I think it's really great that every caller has different style yeah. and different kind of philosophy about what they're trying to create. Um, but for me, maybe because of the the being such an introvert, um, I don't want me to stand out. The voice is, you know, mixing in with the the music as as you're needing to prompt. But I'm happiest when I've chosen a dance. It's exactly the right level and the right next thing for the group of dancers, um, and that they're not needing a huge amount of support. Um, it, it's not bad to have a challenging one or two where your voice is a little more prominent than you'd like, but I really like it when it gets going. Among other things, I can relax more and get to enjoy the music more up there close and hearing it acoustically if they're on their own running and everything is is secure and happy. Yeah. So, um, you know, the things that I think are challenges for me are to bring in anything extra. So I know some dancers really like stories, anecdotes, things that connect. I lived in fear of somebody's string breaking and them turning and saying, "Tell a joke, tell a story," um, because I certainly wasn't fluent at doing that. I thought, "Should I bring a book of poetry and just read it to them?" You know, what am I going to do here? I never did that. I did think about it though. Um, but now, with with especially local dances where people know me well, after this many years of dancing, I moved to California in about two thousand, and that was when I was just starting to call, as I said. Um, So that's a lot of years of dancing in the same communities, Um, and I have, uh, you know, one worry I had about learning to call was that I wouldn't be able to dance as much as I would want if I really got serious about trying to call a lot. Uh, And I still feel like that. I don't. I don't get to dance enough, Um, especially coming back from COVID. The area has suffered with losing some callers who've moved out of area and it's been way heavy on the calling that's why I like getting asked to do weekends because I get to dance at least half the time and, and yeah. call half the time which for me would be ideal um but I've strayed away from the from the question here very I'm sorry
1: oh it's uh, okay there's all you know <laughs> everything leads to everything else yeah, yeah so yeah. we were talking about you know what else what what's important
0: to you uh, yeah. as a um, as a caller I think it's again I've I've become relaxed enough that I'm trying to make sure if I do know something about a particular dance um can I tell them a little bit extra if it will enhance their enjoyment or or um you know fun with that dance yeah it's a good thing um my husband in the car on the way home will say that was really good you told one story and it's like aha I did <laughs>
1: uh, oh I love that
0: yeah yeah um that's the part that's the somewhat of a challenge it would be nice to be able to cover when somebody breaks a string for example I mean you're that is part of the role is to make sure things stay stay happy and moving along and feel like a nice planned complete evening not gaps of silence right I yeah. sometimes I feel apologetic to bands I tend to teach really quite quickly and it's time to be have your next set ready um but it, it it's worked out fine
1: yeah i i i am very similar in my i would say in my presence at the mic and for a lot of the same reasons that (laughs) i i just don't i'm just not uh an entertainer like that and it's a question that i always uh, i'm curious if you have thoughts on whether or not or whether a caller is a performer Or and not that it really matters. It's sort of just like a philosophical question. But, you know, it's I find it interesting because we're up on stage. The the band to me are clear, clearly performing, you know, and yeah, it's just kind of a, a role that's that's all its own.
0: Yeah, I think of it much more as a organizer or facilitator than as a performer, but I'm also glad that there are people who started doing it in the first place because they are seeing themselves as performer entertainers in front of a mic. Um, I think it makes for varied dances and varied experience for dancers as they go to different co- dances that are different callers are in charge of. Yeah. Um, I, you know, I think it's good that both of us be relaxed enough that we could add in extra information. But at the same time, I don't think we have a burden to be super entertaining, um, getting it, getting, fitting in a lot of good dances in the course of an evening, um, because there aren't a huge number of extra things that one wants to impart from the mic. Is is my my goal, and that's my style. So there's there's no right or wrong. When I teach people to call, I say, you know, start paying a lot of attention to other callers. Decide what feels natural. What do you like as a dancer in terms of, is the caller more of a performer adding in or is the caller more, um, less prominent, more invisible?
1: And like you said, you know, be yourself. I think that's all that's all any of us can do. <laughs> and it also helps me to remember that people people aren't looking, aren't there to like watch a show or, or look at the stage. They're they're there to dance with each other. And so also in those moments where, where there's a pause or the band isn't ready yet, I also have just learned to get a little more comfortable with just not saying anything. And then people start talking to each other, which is also why, why they're there. So. Yeah. 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 And, um, and I assume that you that you still enjoy the programming aspect of of being a caller. And has that changed over time? Because you were mentioning, you know, when you first discovered dancing, there was it sounds like you were describing being just sort of right at that that moment where there was starting to be a broadening of of dance choreography and repertoire beyond um sort of chestnuts or dances that had really active and inactive roles.
0: I think, I think by then it was probably already ones and twos. When I came back to it at the point that I lived in Lexington, Kentucky, um, uh, one thing that attracted me to doing more dancing and being more involved in the community was I think that shift to, uh, to more equal dances and more yeah. creating a more aerobic evening Um not that I saw it as a substitute for other kinds of, um, you know, physical training, but it, it's a great fun form of exercise. Yeah, to the sociability and the enjoying of the music and moving to music. So, um, because that's what attracted me and made me so drawn to it as a dancer, that's definitely the the repertoire that I was interested in presenting as I was learning to call. It's, you know, I've always collected dances. As a dancer, having enjoyed something, um, yeah, definitely, it was that move to modern, smooth flow, and less um, inactive time that that drew me back into it more majorly than I had been before. <laughs>
1: And what's your process when when you are programming?
0: Oh, sometimes it's very very easy. I'll have in mind something that's either a newly collected dance or, um, or something I haven't called in a while that I thought, oh, finally here's a here's a group that that one would be right for. Um, and sometimes the rest of the program comes together very easily. I use it's a tr- completely non digital process other than possibly grabbing a dance off. YouTube, if there was one that I'd heard a name of or was interested in, or a choreographer that I like had a new one posted. Um, But most of the dances I collect, I collect just again by dancing them or someone else telling me about them. Um, And I look at cards that are arranged from books and I pull them out and put them in order. Um, Sometimes it goes really smoothly and many times I agonize over it for long periods, but I do tend to program in advance often with substitute dances also pulled out. So if one is more complex than I was expecting would work, um, because there are a lot of newcomers or for whatever reason, um, I I would have a backup one, either that I knew about or it actually pulled the card for already, ready to go. But generally, I like to program and have a pretty good idea. It doesn't mean that I don't throw it all out on dance number two when I realize, no, boy, the the information I had about this dance was just not what I'm seeing either way, either with something more um, higher or lower general experience level on the floor. Um, But a a lot of times I can put my program together and I enjoy the time, quiet time at home alone as I do that. Um, Occasionally, I will walk through Maybe more than occasionally, the whole um, scheme of them, just to make sure that I haven't missed anything that counts as too much of something in a given evening. But I do enjoy the programming part, and I do like being prepared and coming with some idea of what I want to do. Yeah, and and I'm the other thing is um, sometimes I have a especially calling a lot in the the Bay Area, at the dances that I know the same dancers may attend, um, or calling repeatedly at somewhere that I travel to like. Pacific Northwest, um, I pull out whatever programs I've used the last time or two that I called there or within the last you know, four to six months if it's an area I call often um, and make sure and not reuse dances. Um, it's It's part of the constraint challenge that I put together for the puzzle. Would anyone really know if I called and overlapped a lot? No. But again, as a dancer, I like variety. So whether they'd notice or not it's part of the part of the ethic of my programming is is not to reuse dances too soon
1: yeah no and that i mean that's especially when you are active in a local local scene that's good motivation (laughs) too uh and so yeah what is what is your local uh dance scene you know, what's your local geography and what's your, your calling schedule like these days, what are you up to?
0: Boy, Um, with the pets, it's made it a little harder to travel weekends. Um, it's, it's been in terms of driving, it's from, um, North North Bay to Sacramento to down to Monterey kind of as the main area in which I'm calling on, on most weekends. Um, but, you know flying southwest is great flying yeah. either north to seattle or portland or flying south um to la or san diego is just really really easy so getting getting around um prior to covid i was in pets i was really doing a lot of traveling flying on weekends so that's yeah. that's the usual um you know, once or twice a year, we tend to go somewhere else, someone will say, do you want to call a dance? Are you going to be out my way? And if it looks like fun, and it could be rolled into a vacation, we'll often do that. I was in, um, did a couple dances in Massachusetts, and we had a lovely Massachusetts vacation in in July. So just that great. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Nice. Can you speak to anything that's uh, sort of unique about the the west coast dance ecosystem i mean something that i i really was am trying to be intentional about in this (laughs) podcast is to is to be hearing from kind of like all corners of you know i I, it's described as a podcast about north american dance calling so Mm -hmm. you know just really excited to show the broad geography yeah. of, of where dancing is happening all over the place. And especially since you've kind of, you've had set perspectives on several regions of, over the years. So yeah. Is there anything you would really, you would say about
0: really yeah. varied, really varied and some dances having changed a lot during the COVID period of, of shutdown. Um, you know, some dance communities have managed to come back and be super he- healthy, attracting people from different age and and other demographics and are bigger than they were. Um, Some have ended up with kind of people aging during the time and becoming less uh, physically capable and kind of struggling to, to get back to a healthy number of dancers. So some dances have been quite small, I'd say, um, whereas others are bigger than they, than they were. Um, In the Bay area, the circle left, dance um in the in the East Bay has come back and been bigger more healthy than than ever while some others have gotten quite quite small so I, I think highly varied probably like everywhere else in the in the country there isn't one thing that's oh West Coast dances you know or this way um I certainly noticed when I moved here that there were regional differences so mm-hmm. as I'd learned to the length that I'd learned as a Just beginning caller to run dances when I was in Kentucky and Ohio area, when I came to California and in the Bay Area started calling, people would come up and like make cutting gestures across their throats to say, you have run this one long enough, stop it now. And it's like, oh, but I'd look at my watch. It's like, it hasn't been that long. But to them, they were used to more shorter dances in the course of an evening. So that was something to realize. It's like, oh, okay. Um, I don't think that's particularly true anymore. I don't know if just people traveling around more to dance or there's become more trend toward slightly shorter dances. But Hmm, same thing, mix of dances. When I came here in the Bay Area, there was always um, uh, at least one or two of the callers always did a chestnut as the first dance after the break. And I haven't seen that. That's, you know, changed both with callers, getting older and stopping calling as often um
1: yeah just
0: it's the kind of thing that you know it comes and goes someone will get interested in something like chestnut dances and bring them back for a while and make that be part of what they're known for um and then for a while you won't you won't see it as much sure yeah
1: Yeah. and how much do you are you involved in organizing any of your local dances or you, you have your hands full as a traveling caller
0: so when I was first here, um, I did a lot of organizing the dance that was closest to where I lived in the Santa Cruz Mountains in Felton was at kind of a turning point with organizers stepping away and saying, I think this dance is going to have to stop now. And because I lived in um, an area that required kind of a lot of windy road driving to get down to other dances, I wanted that one to, to thrive. And so I started yeah. doing organizing the programming, the liaison with the hall, that that kind of role. Um, I did some organizing for the week-long uh, camp that was American Week that was at Mendocino camp. Um, and at this point, as I started calling more and more, I stepped away from more of the, the organizing roles, just lack of time. Um, but I am hugely grateful to people that that have continued on or have taken up the, the reins in, in organizing it can be a thankless job. It can be a hard job, just like the caller that you're kind of between lots of different things with lots of different conflicting requests. Uh, organizer, it's that times ten, I think. So yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. yep. I've, we're I'm very grateful for the people who, <laughs> who yep. hire me, and I, I also have had times where I've been in the organizing role and and less so now. But it, yeah, it certainly gives you a a real appreciation for. You know the people who kind of hold that foundation to, that makes makes all, all of this dancing and enjoyment possible. To you know, book the venue, <laughs> get the insurance, all the all the fun things.
0: <laughs> Clean the floor afterwards.
1: Exactly.
0: But yeah. Required by the hall. Yep.
1: Yep. Yeah. Um, I wonder too how you think about your role as sort of a, a leader in the the sort of broader dance community as a caller you know beyond standing at the mic and teaching the dances you know are there other values or ways of thinking that you try to put out into the world as, as you are either at the mic or on the dance floor you know i i think there's like like you said callers are often in that very visible spot where Perhaps we have more put on us than we should, but it is also a position of influence in some ways. So,
0: Yeah. I mean, things that I'd like to encourage either as a dancer or a caller is people being really kind and caring for each other when out on the floor and appreciative to the to the music, for the music, to the musicians. Um, so anything I can do. Whether dancing with with newer dancers and make sure, or, or calling for newer dancers and making sure and talking to them at the break and making sure they know they're doing really well. And, you know, um, all of that, I think, is really important toward keeping communities healthy and that, and that callers do have a role to play in that. Um, if someone up at the mic was feeling resentful of having to cater to beginners or having beginners you know in the way of something complex that they had in mind that they wanted to do on the floor i think that would communicate itself and be a really bad thing and i think Mm -hmm. callers usually are very sensitive to um reminding experienced dancers to help newer people letting experienced dancers know there are newer people on the floor sometimes they hardly realize it if people are hanging out and not getting drawn in or if people are dancing in a line that that's ending up filling up light with newer people. Yeah. Um, so anything a caller can do or me as a dancer can do toward making sure that it's a very uh, inclusive atmosphere, that that we're all working together toward one aim, which is a happy coordinated floor. Um, and that I'm hugely, as a caller, I try to express how proud I am when when things go really well. Um, because it does feel like I'm proud for the group. You should all be feeling proud. The musician should feel proud. Everything came together and worked really well. Yeah, that's kind of my philosophy of what what I hope happens. Um, yeah, yeah.
1: Lovely. I'm curious. I'm sure this rarely happens, but do you, if you ever have a moment of frustration at the mic, how do you how do you navigate that for yourself or
0: Occasionally, I hear myself saying, left hand, your other left hand. (laughs) And so I try not to allow myself to do that more than once or twice an evening. or occasionally I'll say, you know, stay alert at this point, because otherwise there'll be somebody chaining and there'll be nobody there for them to chain to. It'll be pathetic. And it's become a little bit of a of a running joke with people who dance to my calling all the time. They'll say pathetic before I even get there. So I try not to, to overdo that. It's not really, it doesn't feel like frustration in the moment. And I, tend to take it on myself when something doesn't go well. And, um, it's a learning each, each time I teach and call a particular dance, it's a new experience. It's a new experience. It's different people on the floor and it's different musicians and it's different hall. It's different everything. So I'll kind of debrief with myself. It's like, Whoa, that was not the right sentence to use to describe that. Um, and that's, you know, I try not to get too upset about it, but to take it as data coming in, like any other experiment, experiment with a particular design back when I was doing um, user experience design. Um, that's that's interesting information. Let's take it in. Let's use it. Let's do it differently next time, but let's not, you know, have it derail everything. I think the the main thing I do with frustrations about things that didn't go right um, is debrief in the car with my husband on the way home, <laughs> which helps a lot. Yes, so, And he, because he's there dancing and often dancing with beginners, um, which I'm hugely grateful for, I'll be able to hear different perspectives of how, how did that feel at that point? You know, ask instead oh, of break, is this, the sound seems to be not good at the back. Is that true? Or are you having trouble hearing me there? It's really helpful to have. And friend dancers will, will also give feedback when asked. To
1: yeah. To it's going, so good to have turn. those sounding yeah. boards for that. Absolutely.
0: Yeah. I think it's been really helpful for me for life in general to develop skills toward not being uh, immediately defensive when somebody provides negative feedback. So that's been a, a good one to learn. And Lisa and other coaches have um, you know, modeled good ways of, of doing that. Um, I know. It's, it's helpful in general to, for me to have developed the skill of at least some of the time being able to say thank you for the feedback um, when what's in your head is, oh my gosh, they don't know anything. Um, maybe we'll take this part out. Maybe.
1: <laughs> <laughs> no, it's, it's, uh, yep. yep. I was just going to say, I, uh, yeah, I, I just love that, um, that that was part of Lisa's callers course was to sort of talk about how to, how to, manage one's sort of emotions at the mic and also how to kind of deal with that interaction and getting feedback. Cause it, cause again, it's just, it's just this public role and it's this, this group experience that you're shaping. And I think people, you know, to a certain extent are entitled to, to have, you know, opinions and, and, you know, want to, want to be able to um, have some input on this experience that they are a part of and Mm. it's also you know it is like any any relationship you know it's like it's a it can be some some challenging communication to figure out how to how to have a good exchange um if someone is is offering feedback so yeah super interesting I think what
0: I've strived for has partly come out of my reaction as a dancer to callers handling their frustration in different ways yeah. Um, so I'm not someone that's ever been happy to hear a caller, a- as a dancer on the floor, to hear a caller um, shush the crowd, um, or mm-hmm. get after people for not following directions well, or for not listening carefully during the walkthrough, or for not whatever. Um, I I don't think it's helpful. It just doesn't feel to me like a helpful thing, and I resent it as a dancer. So I try to be very careful never to do anything that that sounds like that. Once or twice when I've tried to say early in my career, something joking that would quiet quiet the, the floor, not helpful.
1: Didn't um, work. Me,
0: no, not at all. Oh, terrible. Um, what's worked best is just setting a rhythm uh, in terms of keeping people focused and all working together, again, pulling together toward toward the common goal of lovely, coordinated, happy dancing. Um, it's just to keep a very constant tempo. It's like... Quite soon after you line up, you know, you can go ahead if I, especially if I'm encouraging you, go ahead and, and have the ones cross over. Um, and I'm going to start teaching right away. Yeah. so People get used to my rhythm and it works out, works out yeah. as well as anything else in trying to keep people focused and together when I'm ready to to go on to the next thing.
1: Yeah. Really nice. So how do you, how do you think about choreography as a caller?
0: Yeah. Um, I do a little bit of choreography myself. Okay. But, but only, um, when I've had, uh, found myself unable to find a dance that has something that I want. So as a dancer, if I've enjoyed something, but you know, there's, there's no neighbor swing. There's not much neighbor interaction. There's something I don't like, but the one particular sequence is lovely. Um, then I will write a dance if I'm able that, that incorporates that. Um, An example is um, facing someone across the dance, boxing the net and pulling through into a right and left through. And, you know, I had an older dance that had that figure or, or a star to a box the net to a right and left through that kind of thing. And so I've written several dances that played with that just to give in a more modern setting. Um, Similarly, I found myself wanting a dance with a neighbor swing that had a uh, line of four um, with the center facing across with the center, a couple back to back, everybody boxes the net and pulls into a hay. And so for a yeah. long time, I had treasures of the Sierra Madre collected that had that figure, but had no neighbor swing. And there were enough other dances I wanted to do with neighbor swing. And I wanted to not do more than a couple in the course of an evening without, um, and so, and but that was one I didn't have to write myself. I found Fifty Fifty by Bob Isaacs and that met the need perfectly for that. So again, the choreography I've done has been almost completely just to, to have a dance that I otherwise couldn't find. I'm very happy for, for other people who are good, strong choreographers to, to do new and interesting things and to have dances to collect that they've written.
1: Nice, but it's great to to be able to shape what you want <laughs> or create what you want in life. So actually,
0: Mary, you know, I think some of my best uh, choreography that I've seen people using um, a lot is mistranscriptions. So because I collect a lot of my dances as a dancer, um, I'll I'll take a moment's break, write something down, hoping to not even miss the next dance. Um, and when I try to reconstruct it, it's perfectly clear in my mind at that point, but what I've written down doesn't quite work one way or another, or I've added in something like there aren't two ricochets, there are four. Um, <laughs> and often the, desu- the, the result is a really happy accident, a little like baking and putting the wrong amount, sure. oh, well, not tablespoon, but something comes out and you particularly like it. And it's been a little bit like that with mistranscriptions on my part
1: nice so poof you have a new dance
0: <laughs> yep there are one or two that i've you know tried hard to attribute to somebody after even asking the caller and it was so far from whatever it i'd actually danced that nobody <laughs> ever recognized it. it's like okay new dance
1: yeah so. to the right.
0: partner on the side, balance, and swing your partner, partner swing. As a couple, gents passing by the left shoulder, promenade across, now circle left, halfway, circle, circle, slide to the next, neighbor to the ring, balance, control to the right, one corner, again,
1: Well, I was just gonna gonna ask a little bit more um, how you organize your your dance collection, and and whether that's connected to kind of choreography and, and um, if that plays into how you approach programming to kind of arranging different
0: figures. Yeah, yeah, I have three books um, that are like photo albums with so I can see the cards, although they, they're three deep sometimes, and I'll occasionally lose track of a a card for a long enough period that then it's an exciting discovery when i oh i love that dance i remember um and then within the books when i really take the trouble to get them organized it's by kind of signature move like all the petronella dances together so that's it and i start again um that helps me not choose um you know able to Pick and choose and move around in the book and not take three in the same area because they're going to be be too similar. Nice, uh, yeah. Between that and kind of looking at some other, you know, I rarely I like maybe never reuse the same program exactly as is. Um, but uh, you know, I might start from another program, kind of look, see what I liked or didn't like, or I really like these two dances back to back. Let's let's put that in. Um, and a lot is trying to guess will be at which dances and what will they will they have traveled from the North Bay all the way down to Monterey, maybe if it's a big enough, exciting enough dance. Um, so how many how many evenings programs do I want to avoid anything from? But, yeah, that's the way I approach it. Sometimes it's super fast. And it takes me hardly any time to pull the cards out of those books and have a have a nice evening ready to go. And then other times it just feels like it takes me forever and I'm having to do variations and modifications of dances to avoid. It's like, there can't be another, um, you know, Robin's chain. There just can't be another dance it's in every dance. How did I do yeah. this? And, so, <laughs> and then it's a matter of, shall we rewrite those as something else? A few of them. Oh, shall we just throw out dances all together and replace? What do What do we do? But that's the puzzle part that I really like.
1: Yeah, do you have a, a a favorite figure or a favorite favorite dance? Something that you just love? Oh, it's hard it's, to pick.
0: It's, it's it would be very hard to pick. Um, it, there are a lot of them. Uh, you know, useful for different things. The the choreographers I've mentioned a couple of them already. Um, but I find myself using Rick Moore dances and Bob Isaacs dances, and sometimes um there'll be you know a bunch in a row. It's a look. It's another, you know, Bob Isaac's dance. Uh, so I, I will um, you know, try to add to my collection as they explore different things. But it's 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 a large set of choreographers that I think are great and that I really like. Uh, yeah. extra dances from.
1: Nice. Yep. Yeah. And just cause you just mentioned a Robin's chain, I, I'm curious. What terminology, or uh, what you <laughs> what what you use for um, role terms in your calling, and uh, you t- know, ha- has that been
0: basically the answer is I use whatever organizers ask me to use, and whatever is currently right for any given community. Um, I I you know was happy to call with bare arms and and bands um, when when that was being done. Um, it, the the one thing that I hope people realize is that it is an extra cognitive challenge for the caller. I've sometimes yeah. seen groups who have moved to gender free terms um, being upset when a caller makes an error, mm-hmm. especially a visiting caller from an area where they hadn't yet done the terminology swap when it had already happened here in California. And I felt really unhappy that that the caller had that experience. People can be trying their very best and still make mistakes. Yeah, um, and there are just lots of ways that a caller could make errors. Um, you know, if you think they're really unaware of it, tell, and you feel a need to tell them afterwards, nicely, gently, softly, um, but don't. No hissing and booing. No, no, none.
1: <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, that yeah. it's a really it. That is a tough spot to to be in, and I th- I feel like it's pretty fair to say that all of us are in good faith, like you said, trying trying to do what we can. And, and at least, yeah, at least on places that I've been calling, it seems like there is, I don't think we're at like full standardization, but I've mostly been using Larks and Robins and um, in a lot of places, it seems like that's evening out, but I can remember, you know, as, as many different really interesting, rich discussions happening around this topic and and uh that was also resulting in in trying out a lot of different uh oh, yeah. terms and, and that was that was hard I can remember one weekend caught doing um a, a gendered terms dance uh jets and rubies dance and then a larks and robins <laughs> dance sort of all on a weekend and my my brain you know is a hard. fun challenge but there, yeah. but it was definitely there were definitely some slip-ups um I've liked, you know, growing that ability, but like you say, it is, it's something that just takes time and practice.
0: Yeah. The other thing that's been good um, learning for me is that even though people see everything as my responsibility, really referring them to the right person who can maybe more productively use the feedback they're giving um, is a good way to go. Uh, They have no sense of um, callers, or at least i do what organizers ask me to do as opposed to i do something because i have strong political belief in it and way or another regardless of what Um, and so that's a case even even something like sound getting the sound right people will come up and tell callers you know your voice sounds this way or i can't hear you or it's it's muddy um and it's like that's great feedback but there's you know, and I'm glad I know it, but here's somebody I want you to go say that to right now.
1: <laughs> right. Who has more, more agency over that. Maybe
0: can do something <laughs> faster than I can about that or more helpful than I can. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. We really do exist in, in an ecosystem of, <laughs> and it's good for, for yeah. people to see the, see how all the parts work together.
0: Exactly. Um, oh, <laughs> I may have to say that no bark there sorry
1: oh we have a furry friend visiting on screen <laughs> i was wondering who the pandemic
0: pets were <laughs> yeah that was one of them oh, like, a little little dude that. looks like they're a at least yeah that it's one's a doodle the totally fine a, a different mix um
1: um i feel like we're maybe wrapping up i was one little thing that was sticking in my head is I was just I was curious you mentioned doing a presentation at Google where you you used to work about contradancing Mm -hmm. and I don't know if there's anything to share there but that just piqued my interest and I was curious what you talked about and and how uh how your colleagues received it
0: I, I think a lot had to do with um using language that was really concise and clear um in, in communication, they really liked it because it was, if you think a lot of people talking about work that they'd done, um, I got to use beautiful photographs um, and and music background that was appropriate. And it was just really fun. It was a fun talk. Um, I nice. know I, I couldn't have been there in person, wherever the, um, I was working in a remote office I think at that time and so I recorded the whole thing in advance but it's lost I don't know where it ended up I don't ah. know um but I think other people um I think that Lindsay Dono may have also done something similar and done talks that connected up her her uh professional you know career yeah. contra dance calling
1: so yeah I just I I love seeing how dancing can find relevance out in, in the broader world and, and, uh, offer lessons and wisdom at, out there. Um, cause I think there's, there's a lot, it's a lovely space to kind of, you know, yeah, experiment, learn, and then yeah. br- bring it out, <laughs> bring it out to the world.
0: I, I love treating each night as an experiment. And it really is. Everything comes together differently. No two dances, no two evenings of contra dancing are ever exactly the same. You never know what it, it's going to turn out like, but you know, it's going to be unique, never to be exactly duplicated. And that's, that's part of the joy of it for dancers and for caller.
1: For Absolutely. And always something to learn. Yeah. yeah. Um, the other thing, I don't know if there's more to say, but I'm just curious whether you, what, what your interaction was with Ted Senella. I mean, he must've just (laughs) kind of just been start, but it's like, you can't really just like drop that name without, (laughs) without being like, wait a minute, did you, know, did you get a chance to, you know, I don't know, learn anything about him as a caller or was he just kind of like your, your, your boyfriend's dad at that point? Oh, no,
0: very much, um. I I walked dances as he was had had written them in the living room um oh fun. within uh, um to smaller uh gigs that were done at like a country club using a portable phonograph and and a record as the music um and also you know more standard larger things um so I saw him call in lots of different for 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 small groups, for more experienced groups, for people who it was a one night kind of event, um, and so that that was really fun to see the variety of that. I also saw him as a really active member of his community um, with the Sinella family. I helped set up for NEFA um, yes. as you know as a as a student mm-hmm. and really um, kind of appreciated then how much work volunteer work went into. Um, all the great dancing that I've been enjoying as a dancer. So my mother also says um, he wouldn't let me serve a pie that I made warm while it was still warm. He made it, it had to cool first. It's like, no, no, it's supposed to be for dinner. And she said that hugely frustrated me as a, as Ah. a college aid kid. Um, I don't remember that, but that was, that's a funny thing that it's just stuck with her. Huh? Yeah. But really, you know, I've had so much fun with the with the calling, not to mention the dancing. Um, and that came from my association with with the Sinella family. So hugely, hugely grateful to them and for how welcoming and lovely they were to include me in all of the dance activities that that were going on, including tense calling at so many oh. different points.
1: Yep. Very cool. Yeah. Um, is there um is there anything when you kind of think of the future for, for your calling and for dancing, is there anything that you're excited about or directions that you're going in or, or does everything feel pretty in motion and balanced right now?
0: I'm pretty balanced. I'm always excited about, you know, weekends coming up because, because that's something different. Um traveling some distance. I see different people. That's fun. Uh, there's a week-long camp next summer that I'm calling that I'm looking forward to. Just, just different opportunities, different kinds of connection because of events that are, you know, a one-time event, uh, um, a one night that's part of a series, a whole weekend, a whole week. It's all different kinds of contacts that you as a caller and planner get to have with, with the people who are there to dance and and with musicians too. I mean, that's the other thing we haven't touched on much, but I've had sure. lovely times traveling um, with and and working with really good musicians, and I love it when new people come along from different traditions and start playing for contra dances. That's been super satisfying. Is to get time, uh, knowing musicians as as people and as friends, um, and having friends all over the country is is just really fun. And that's something that I, I completely thank the dance community for. I don't think that would have happened for me otherwise
1: yes it is a a very significant bonus to to this job and like you said just getting getting to stand right next to the band that's one of the best things about it
0: one thing I'd say is um I have a lot of admiration for people who come to the calling thing without having done a lot of music performance themselves yeah Um, that's something that got to be kind of for free for me because I'd done a lot of playing and performing um but there are people who come to it never having played an instrument who end up being great callers and just being able to um, take that on in addition to all the other things that you're having to learn when you're learning to call. Um, again, just a lot of admiration for for that and also a lot of gratitude that I didn't have to go through that myself.
1: So. Yeah, it's true. I know that it's it's not a given. And like you say, there are some people who they have those strengths that that you need to to call and then they sort of fill in the um the pieces that you need to be able to communicate with the band and and you know sort of count and manage manage the hall that's the the other aspect i love is just the teamwork with the musicians too and knowing that they that you know i know some stuff but they they really are holding down that aspect of things and, and, uh, yeah, just getting to be colleagues for, for an evening. It's so fun.
0: Yeah. Um That's something I know you've covered in some of the other podcasts, but just the idea of when you start out calling, you may be working with bands that are newer too, and that are struggling more. Um, and it's just so easy when you get to work with a really experienced band, when you're used to working with, um, you know, an Irish band that plays a lot of crooked tunes and you got to yeah. figure out what that is a newer caller when there's five other things that are grabbing your attention. So yeah, for people, anybody listening, who's, who's more starting out, it gets a lot easier. It you does for more experienced dancers and for more experienced with more experienced musicians. It all gets easier.
1: It does keep doing it.
0: <laughs> yeah, you still have the skills you've developed working in, in tougher situations, but um, but it can just be a complete joy to be able to relax more.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And it's all part of the experiment. And and I, I love I love when you just get something completely new and unexpected. I was I was calling at a little festival in Vermont here a couple of weeks ago, and I was doing you know, a community contra dance. It was kind of all comers, all different levels. But they happened. The organizers happened to put me together with kind of two different bands that they combined. So we had a six-piece band with three fiddles, an accordion player, a guitar player, and a bagpipe player. <laughs> and most of them, there were some, a few, few of them had uh, experience playing for contras. A few of them did not, Mm -hmm. but we all, we all just got together and, and made it work. And, uh, sometimes that element of, of, uh, you know, inexperience, but like courage and sort of necessity of having to make something happen can result in something (laughs) something really fun too. So I think it was a successful experiment, (laughs) but it was certainly exciting.
0: (laughs) Glad to hear it. I definitely yeah. to talk to musicians ahead of time if they haven't done many contradances. Um, so they know what to expect from, from me and from the evening I'm going to create.
1: Yeah. yeah. Establish some, some ground rules,
0: some, some. Yeah.
1: Just, com- just common seeing, language. It, it helps <laughs> me
0: know common language. It helps me know, um, you know, what support they're going to need from me to know something about their level of, of experience. Um, helps me know are they going to be able to play up to tempo likely or not (laughs) and what do I do in planning ahead of time if I know probably not yes
1: yeah 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 always something to learn good great well as I think you've you know I have three closing questions and we've we've touched on some of them a -hmm. little bit which is totally totally fine but um the first one you have mentioned a little bit, but I usually ask people about how how they notate and keep their um their dance collection uh, because called that's something that's really central to being a caller. You have to sort of build this this library of repertoire. So it sounds like you have been, cards from the start and, and, and into the future, cards. it sounds like. Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
0: Only once have I managed to get to a dance, not having any cards with me. Um, and luckily I had a pet sitter who, who photographed and sent the the program for the night. Wow. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, just the, the physical cards and card collection over the years. Um, I do occasionally now use some of the online resources to be able to do searches if I'm really stuck and looking for something particular. Uh, it doesn't happen too often. Um, but either it'll remind me of a card that I didn't think to look at or you know add a new dance to the to the collection. Nice,
1: yep, nice. And do you have a uh, a box of cards or you said
0: you had binders? Oh. Books, books a designed box. for holding photographs that the cards slide oh, into. Okay. You know, nice. it used to be very tidy, and there was one card per slot and plenty of spaces to add new dances. Because I, because of these three, you know, kind of by by complexity level, uh, yeah. books of cards. But, um, and and I I weed dances out and remove them from books as I replace them with things I like better or things I just find I haven't called in a long time I haven't needed. Um, but right now there are about, you know, two or three cards per slot and they kind of hide each other a little bit. It's not an ideal situation and it kind of drives my husband crazy that I don't have good. I like using my own, you know, over the years notation. Um, a lot of my cards are completely illegible because at first, especially, I was so nervous with the sweaty hand holding the paper card that the writing has come right off and it doesn't matter it's still the card I've always used. It doesn't matter if you can't read, you know, B1 and B2. I know, I really do know the dances, but it's just the familiarity of seeing my own thing in my own hand. Yeah. Yep. But I love it when musicians say, could I look at your cards? It's like, sure, I can. Good luck to you. (laughs) Let me me tell you what what that actually is. And they said, you can't read this at all. The writing's completely gone. It's but it's my card.
1: <laughs> I know what it says. Yeah. What it says. Yeah. yeah. It's true. The the longer you've been using a system,
0: it is harder
1: to change, I think.
0: <laughs> yeah.
1: yeah. Nice. Um, nice
0: because regardless of um, you know, internet connection, uh yes. it it's guaranteed to work. That's and, and you know, some of the halls actually are are remote enough and don't always have good cell signal
1: works well. So you're safe, safe with your cards. Yep. Um, do you have any pre or post gig rituals, things that you like to do to get ready for a dance or to, or to wind down afterwards
0: for, for getting ready? I definitely like to have done a uh, uh, programming, uh, in advance. Um, I now can sleep and eat normally. I'm not tense. Good. So. Thank, goodness. <laughs> Thank goodness. Um, to to wind down, I think it's really important to me that I be able to chat in the car on the way home. Um, so having a husband who loves to dance, who's there, who's helping out with newcomers on the floor, and then who will listen to me go back over things. It's like, boy, that didn't feel so good, you know. Why do we think that was confusing? Or um, you know, this aspect of this dance didn't didn't seem as as good as I would like it to be. Shall we change that up next time? So that's really helpful. That's the, that's pretty much the, the debrief afterwards, or, you know, did that story work or was it just like, oh, we'll just leave that out. <laughs> that didn't, didn't feel good.
1: So nice. Yeah, it's true. Cause you're just up there on stage kind of, you know, not totally alone, but it's, it's, you're holding the whole room for three hours. And so, yeah, it's great. It's, it's so great to be able to, check in with other other witnesses and sort of see did you have the experience that I had yeah totally get it yeah. nice and then I have been asking everyone if they're an introvert or an extrovert which you've also answered a little bit
0: sounds like you you feel pretty sure where you're on that on that one um you know it 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 always amazes me when people ask me to do something that kind of um, makes clear that they think I'm extroverted because they're used to me up there in front of lots of people speaking into a mic. Um, as long as it's nice, structured, I have a purpose, and I know what I'm trying to accomplish, it's it's not scary anymore. Yeah. I like it. Um, but But it never ceases to amaze me when people say you're kind of quiet <laughs> away from that mic, you know, and they weren't expecting it. So yeah, um, it, it, kind of, the, the structure, um, has given me freedom to connect with more people in a, actually in a fun way than, yeah. than I would, without coming to calling I would ever have experienced, I think.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It has, has something for everyone. It's, it's, I, I find it just really heartening that it can accommodate, uh, you know, a lot of Very different people with a lot of, yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. That's what makes it so interesting. Yeah. Wonderful. Well, Susan, thank you so much for chatting mm-hmm. with me. Yeah. It's been really nice to to hear a little bit more about your caller life. And uh, I hope you have fun at your your next dance, wherever you're off to next and uh, fun with
0: your pandemic Thanks. pups. And I think the hopefully... next one is a dance weekend in Oregon at the end of the month. So
1: wonderful. Great. Yep.
0: Look forward to being able to dance half the time and call half the time, which is ideal. That's yep. the, the dream. All right. Thank, Thank you. you yep. Good to talk. Thanks
1: for having me. Thanks to Susan for talking with me. You can check out the show notes for today's episode at cdss.org podcasts. This project is supported by CDSS, the Country Dance and Song Society, and is produced by Ben Williams and me, Mary Wesley. Thanks to Great Meadow Music for the use of tunes from the album Old New England by Bob McQuillan, Jay Norzachowski, and Deanna Stiles. Visit cdss.org slash podcasts for more info. Happy dancing!
0: The views expressed in this podcast are of the individuals and do not necessarily reflect those of CDSS.